in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Father, we come to your word, and this is such a controversial chapter. It's in the minds of so many people, and God, it's such a shame. This chapter mentions your name more times than any other chapter in the Bible, and it's no wonder that Satan attacks it. And God, as we look at your work here in chapter 1 of Genesis, we see how often you said that it was good. And we want to praise you tonight for your goodness. Oh God, you are such a good God. As your word tells us, every good and perfect gift comes from you. It comes from above and you delight. Psalms tells us that you delight to bless your people. God, forgive us for thinking that you're withholding good from us. And may we instead come to you this evening hungry and desperate and thirsty to be filled with your goodness. So Lord, I pray you fill every soul. Lord, that you shape every out-of-control life that you begin a new creation within each and every heart this evening, right now. That, God, that we would know Jesus in such a new way. That Jesus would begin this new creation within us. In your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We looked at this verse last week, didn't we? And we um, looked at it topically as a great verse, I think, for our new year. That God not only began the heavens and the earth, but He's beginning a new year for us. And if He begins, Christian, please be comforted that God finishes what He begins. You look at verse 1 of chapter 2, and there it is. He finished the heavens and the earth. He began it, He will finish it, and He will finish what He does in you. And the fact that there's a beginning is such a cool concept because it means that the one who began it is the one who's in control of what he began. Our great God is an author of all that happened. You guys know they, um, we call the past deeds history. And it's been cutely and creatively pointed out that history is his story. And it's true. The chronicles of the past are all forged with the pen of God. He's in control of what happens to your life and what happens in the world. He is the author. And it is the best plan for us to give up the pen that we hold and say, I'm tired of writing the story of my life, Lord. I want you to write it. Because when he writes it, he says, it is good. It is good. So I would exhort us, those of you who are critiquing your life, who are, who are envious of the person next to you or across the room or someone at school or, or someone else you know at another church. You're just so envious of it. You want to be them. You're unhappy with yourself. I counsel you tonight, get rid of that red pen. Stop marking up God's story and saying, God, you should have written it this way. Give up that red pen and let him write the story and just be content saying, Lord, you said your story is good and you're going to perfect what you start. So that's what we looked at last week in chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, Genesis chapter 1, in its entirety, is a microcosm of the entire story of the Bible. What's a microcosm? Well, there was a guy who was just hired at a new newspaper, and um, he went to go report a social event. Uh, Stephen's being, or no, Tim's being murdered by the AK-47, or no, 
good. Life. The life was taken from life by the AK-47. And, you know, so this new newspaper editor goes and he does the report. He's going to put it in the newspaper. And two dozen pages later, he turns it in to his editor. And the editor doesn't even look at it. He says, cut it in half. Okay, he didn't even look at my work. It's so perfect. So the writer goes and he cuts it in half. He condenses it. He brings it back to his boss, feeling pretty good about his paper. And the boss doesn't even look at it again. He says, cut it in half again. Oh, he's so frustrated, but he's new. He's just going to do what he's told. He goes and he cuts it in half again. And he turns it into his boss, his editor. And the editor, again, doesn't even look at it. And he says, I don't know what's on that page, but now you need to turn it into me on one page. Oh, and the guy was flustered. He said, well, I don't understand. He finally speaks. He said, I don't understand why you want me to condense it and condense it and condense it into one page. This is a big story. People need to know the details. And the editor just smiled and looked at him and said, Don't you know, young man, that when God created the heavens and the earth, he recorded it in ten simple words? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I counted them this time. It's ten. <laughs> Such a, a massive, imaginative, mind-blowing, we want to know how this worked and all the details and oh my goodness, We've never created anything. Sure, we've assembled and put together things, but we've never created something out of nothing. God, how did you do this? And as we're reading, you know, it talks about the moon and, and the sun and their roles, and then all of a sudden it says in three words, and the stars. And God, God is such a, a brief writer when it comes to this interesting creation story. But you see, <coughs> God can say so much and so little. If His words are pure, perfect, and powerful... And when I say that Genesis 1 is a microcosm of the story of the Bible, this is what I mean. It is really the entire story from Genesis to Revelation abbreviated into one chapter. God, if you, did, if you will, he's giving us like the Reader's Digest of the whole Bible. Brandon, I, I, we read the creation story up to before the creation of man, and I just didn't see how this is the story of the Bible. This is, what, this is what I want to show, okay? This is what I want to look at tonight. I think it's so exciting that in the first two verses of Genesis, the gospel is right there. Oh, sure it doesn't talk about Jesus, but it paints a picture of what Jesus did for us. So let's look at it. First, analytically, okay? Some of you guys, mostly, I know girls in this family don't care about this, but just bear with it. It's not going to be too long. We're going to look at what does this mean, this chaos in verse 2 and why is it there and how does this show us the theme of the Bible so verse 2 God created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters so fascinating so mysterious God creates the heavens and the earth and then instantly we find there's this chaos. There's, there's an earth without form. It, it's kind of without order. It, it's empty. There's darkness and water. Just, it's like, did God create this? This, this appearing, this, uh, what am I trying to say? This seemingly chaotic state. Is this really a work of God? Well, there's different theories out there. Some of you guys may have heard before the gap theory. 
What is this chaos in verse 2? Well, the gap theory says this. In verse 1, God created the whole universe. It was perfect and good. But after verse 1, in between verse 1 and 2 is a gap. We don't know how long. And there was this pre-Adamic race, meaning men before Adam, were all in the world. Then Satan sinned against God and became, because remember he was an angel, but he became Satan because he sinned against God. He wanted to be like God, so he's cast out of heaven. Satan, at that point, they theorized, fell from heaven, came to the earth, and God judged the earth because of sin. So that's why we have this chaos in verse 2. Then in verse 3, what happens is God is recreating the world again. He's making it new because Satan ruined it through his sin. Now, they really hinge on verse 2 for this theory. Their hinge is right here where it says, the earth was without form and void. They say that could read, and they're right, it could read the earth became without form and void. The problem with translating it that way is that 98% of the time when you have this word here, was, the earth was, only, well, in 98% of the time it translated was, 2% of the time it translated became. <laughs> the odds are not in your favor to say that the earth was good and that it became this chaotic state. So the gap theory really was popular back in the day, but today it seems pretty empty. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of evidence for the gap theory, especially when you consider why it came about. Why would anyone try to read into the Bible and insert this gap and Satan's falling, especially when the Bible doesn't even mention anything about this? And then secondly, it seems like you have to clearly insert it. It's not a natural reading. Why would anyone do this? The answer is evolution's geological theory. Now, some of you may know what that is, but uh, you guys know about like the Cambrian explosion, and you guys are probably you know brainwashed with this at school. Um, but basically, the uh, geological theory states that there had to be four over four and a half. Did I do something? Oh, <laughs> over four and a half billion years of development in the Earth's crust. So the the people, the Christians, said, well. Um, okay, let's compromise with evolution and let's make that work. So we'll put a gap in there and that's where all that happened. Come on. Are we really going to sell out like that? No, that, the, the gap theory, it started off with wrong motives. Second theory, initial chaos. Initial chaos. What this means is this chaos was God's creation. Verse 1, he creates the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 tells us, so verse 1 is the initiation. Verse 2 is the description of what he created. This is what he created. A chaotic state. Why would God create a chaotic state? Well, they kind of go along this line to say, well, what it is, if you will, it's like Play-Doh. You pull it out of the little tube and you set it in front of you and, oh, it kind of has form, but it's really nothing. It's just a blob of dough there. And what you do is you take that blob and you begin to form it. So they say God created this chaos and then he began to use it. It was like the elements of the universe and he began to form them into creation. But my question must then be is why would God create chaos rather than just create creation? He can do that obviously. And Isaiah 48, uh, 45 verse 18 actually says God did not create the earth empty but he created it to be inhabited. So would God really create chaos? 
It's illogical, isn't it, that a good God, a God of order, would create an orderly universe? Why would you create a universe of chaos and then just fix it? It doesn't really seem to flow to me. So what they actually say, some other circles here say, well, it wasn't chaos, okay, you're misinterpreting it, you're kind of reading into it. What it is, is the empty and void, or the um, formless and void, what it simply is saying is that the earth was there and all, but it just means that there was nothing on it. There was no land, there were no trees, there was no stars, there were no people and animals and fish and birds. So God then went to try to fill it. It was like a desert, a waste place, and he then just began to put life on it. Okay, that makes more sense, right? Makes a lot more sense. So I could buy this theory that God created just an empty planet and then decided to fill it. Isaiah 45.18, the one I just said, God didn't create the earth void, also says he did create it to be inhabited. So what they're saying is, okay, so it was created empty, but at the same time it's created to be inhabited. So he starts with this and then he starts to fill it. Oh, kind of like a piggy bank. <laughs> Some of you have a savings account or a piggy bank. When you first get it, it's empty. But you didn't get it for vain purposes. You had a reason for it. You're going to save up money. And so, slowly but surely, you begin to put money in it, and it begins to be filled. That, that's the, kind of the idea here. And that's a very valid, valid viewpoint of the creation. However, I kind of favor the third one more. The third one is the pre-creation chaos. Gap theory. Initial creation. Or initial chaos creation. Yeah, that one seems to work. How about the pre-creation chaos? This means that verse 2 actually was there before verse 1. Whoa. Hold on just a second. Brandon, that does not sound like the logical one here. Well, follow this, okay? Who said, who said that verse 1 was a creative act? Read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is this a creative act, or is it a summary statement of what he's about to do? You guys all have to write papers. And if you're being trained properly, they teach you about the thesis statement, right? Which is basically your whole paper summarized in either a paragraph or a sentence. You can now, you can look at this, verse 1, as the thesis statement. This is what I'm about to say. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. And now he's going to describe the creation process. It's a lot like this. Romeo was run over by a truck, and he's now flat and dead. Now, Romeo and his brother, sister, wife, Juliet, <laughs> decided to go play medieval nights on the driveway when Romeo decided to um, joust with the oncoming traffic in the street. Now, that story, what's interesting about that story is I said, Romeo's dead, then I went into this story about Romeo. Now, you guys follow the story, right? None of you thought that what I was saying was, Romeo's dead, he came back to life, and decided to joust in the street. That's not what I was saying. You logically understood that I was introducing a story, he's dead. Then I went back and told you why he's dead. This is what I believe verse 1 and 2 are. Statement, God created heavens and the earth. Verse 2, why? Why did he do that? Why did he create the heavens and the earth? Because there was this lifeless chaos 
that was producing nothing. No life dwelt in this. It was darkness, water, formless, void. It was just this ball of death, if you will. This form, I don't know if it was a ball, but it was just this thing that was the antithesis of everything that God is. God is good and love and He's light and He's life. But this chaotic state in verse 2 is everything against that. It's darkness, it's void, and it's, it's bad, if you will. And God said, I need to overcome this. I'm going to show the people that even in this chaos, I am above it and more powerful than it, and I'm going to change it from chaos to a creation. That's very interesting, Brandon. But, where did the chaos come from? <laughs> it does not say that the chaos existed before God. Impossible. God's eternal. This chaos is not eternal. How do you know that? Where do you get that? Read Revelation 21 and 22. It says that the sea will be no more. So if these waters here will be no more one day, they can't be eternal, right? Because they're going to disappear. No, this chaos is in somehow untold to us, connected to God's creation, okay? Somehow it's dependent upon God, but we're not told how it got there or what its relationship is to God. Brandon, I don't... Wait, what do you... Well, hold on. Follow this. Where else in the Bible do we see this relationship to God that's unexplained? With Satan and sin. We know who Satan is. We know that he sinned and wanted to be like God and fell. But we're never actually told where sin originally started. Satan was the first to sin. But now you have to ask, well, is it possible to sin if sin doesn't exist? <laughs> we really don't really know how sin came into the universe. We just know that Satan was the first to sin and then duped Eve and Adam into sinning too. But you see... We don't know a lot of things about the origin. So why can't we just look at this ball of chaos, which is uh, kind of a picture of Satan's work, and say, we don't know where it came from, but it was there, and God wanted to manipulate his power over it. I love it. It puts the sovereignty of God so on high. Well, you might ask, Brandon, that's interesting. Why, though? Why would God want to have this chaos and to overcome it. Why would he want to do that? I propose three reasons. The first is <coughs> that God would demonstrate his power, as I've already talked about. There's this chaos, unorderly, no life, but God says, you know what? Don't worry about that, people. I can take care of it. I'm bigger, stronger, it has no power over me. I'm going to change it from chaos to creation. It demonstrates his power clearly. Nowhere in this you see God struggling in a war. Oh, the darkness almost won, but finally the light came into being. You kidding me? God said, light be, and light was, and darkness, it was conquered by the light. <laughs> the void of the earth. God said, oh, animals, be there, trees, be there. Fish and birds and giraffes and Stevens, all of you be there. And it wasn't like the chaos said, no, we will not be filled with life. It just happened. <laughs> it's formless. But God said, oh no, we're going to have heavens and earth. We're going to form the world. It didn't resist him, it just did. God is so powerful. And God wants to demonstrate this power to us. 
Number two, not just to demonstrate his power, but to differentiate his person. What do you mean differentiate his person? Moses is writing this to the Jews who were in the midst of a pagan society all around them. How pagan? Well, this is the story of their creations. Babylon has a creation story, okay? And basically, what the story is, their chief god is Marduk. And Marduk stood up against the evil chaos god, if you will, this god that was against life, and he took her, and there was this big battle described, Marduk versus the, Eda, or <laughs> Marduk versus the evil, and they waged battle, and eventually Marduk was able to go down into the throat of this monster and kill it, and then he took his sword and skinned the monster, dividing it into two, and with the two parts he created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> wow, that's called mythology. You're giving like... Um, human characteristics and godlike deity to things in nature. And that's the Babylonian story. You see this epic battle, and finally, through great struggle, Marduk prevails. But Moses wants to say, no, that's not how it happened. God just said, and it was. And by the way, God doesn't have to fight against other gods. He's the only God. It differentiates his person. You know, the Egyptians talk about the earth starting. It was in this um, big sea, and there's this egg. And the earth kind of hatched out of the egg. <laughs> and then, um, well, there's, there's other, it's kind of like the stories are all about the gods fighting chaos to prevail. And it seems that perhaps Moses here, because every nation, or culture I guess you call it, um, talks about waters being in the beginning. But Moses understood that, hey, God is not like these other gods. His person's different. He's personal and powerful. And he doesn't fight these other... He doesn't, in fact, he doesn't even recognize existence. Ah, whatever these stories are. I'm just creating the earth here. So, to demonstrate his power, differentiate a difficult word for me. <laughs> his person. But, thirdly, to illustrate his program. And this is what I feel is the microcosm of the theme of the Bible. To illustrate... His program. What program? Salvation. Remember we looked last week at the Bible unfolds the story of God's glory in restoring paradise to man. We'll get there. Man loses his paradise. He ruins his creation. But God's goal through the rest of the Bible is bringing man back to the paradise he lost. Back to the perfect state he ruined. Back to the fellowship with God that he walked away from. That's the theme of the Bible. And God here, in verse 2, simply wants to illustrate this important fact to us. That God transforms chaos into creation. God transforms chaos into creation. It's His power, it's His person, and it's His program. And that's what He wants to do in your life, your life, the lives of those out there, the adults down there, and my life here. You were born, I was born, all of us were born in a chaotic state. The Bible teaches very clearly that you were born as a sinner against God. You were at war against Him. And that God is the one who reaches for us and wants to restore us. You see, we are in this chaotic position. There's, we're not formed. We're not filled. There's darkness within us. We're just this blob of this soul on its way to hell and condemnation unless 
a new work happens in our life. And that's what God did. And I speak to the Christians, you know, you know this creative power that God demonstrated in your heart. You know that you were once formless, no purpose. You were once void. There was this, as they say, this God-shaped hole in your heart. There was no fulfillment. You were in darkness, no real understanding of who God is. But as soon as you accepted Jesus Christ, how He flooded in, He filled your soul, He gave you form and purpose. Do you feel like you're in chaos tonight? God wants to bring a new creation to you. See, God transformed the chaos into this glorious creation. Are you sure, Brandon? I don't think he can do that in my situation. I don't think he can do that in my life. But he did it here. In a universal scale. Do you think he can't handle your six foot, if you're tall like Tim, or your five foot frame? You think he can't handle that? As we go through the chapter next week, you'll notice what God does. There's this chaos, right? It's formless and void. What he does in the first three days is he takes that formlessness and he forms it into the earth. He takes that voidness and he, on the last three days, he takes the void and he fills it with things like um, animals, birds, fish, and people, and the stars. And it's a great, it's a great, great story here. This formless earth, but God forms it with the heavens and the earth and light and ground and sea. It's void. There's no life here, but God takes the emptiness and instills life and breathes life into animals and people. And now you have creation. God wants to do that to you. If you will, um, go to Second Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The soul of man is in chaos, but this is what Jesus does. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. But behold, the new has come. If any man is in Christ, if you, Christian, are in Christ, and that's kind of a repetitive redundancy if, you're, if you, Christian, are in Christ. <laughs> hey, you, Christian, guy in the back, girl in the front, thing over there. If you are in Christ, He's made a new work in you. He's taken that darkness that formlessness and that emptiness and He began a new work. He's given you life and you feel it, you experience it. But if you know nothing about this new creation and you still feel dark, formless and void, empty, you're in need of Jesus Christ. You're in need of Him transforming your chaos into a mighty, beautiful creation. He does that in life. He wants to do that to you. The three enemies of verse 2. Emptiness, formlessness, emptiness. Wait, no, darkness. There you go. Said emptiness twice. The first one was take darkness. God destroys that the first day of creation. The first thing He says, let there be light. It's gone. 
You know what he does to us? Look left at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. 4, verse 6. For God who said, now he's quoting from Genesis, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, the darkness of your soul, the uncertainty of your situation. God, through Jesus Christ, wants to illuminate your life. He wants to give you life and light so that you don't have to walk down in your uncertain situation and wonder, what's God going to do? You just already know He's telling you, it's going to be okay. I love you. All will work out for good. Or you unbeliever. You just don't even know what's going to happen at the end of life. You don't know what life's about. You have no... You have no basic concept of life because you're darkened inside the Bible. Says you don't get God. You hear the Bible and it's boring. You don't get church people. You don't even understand why your parents dragged you here. Jesus wants to bring light to your heart that you get it, that you understand it. Darkness brought to light by Jesus. But the formlessness, the formlessness is in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Ephesians 2 verse 8 states this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that anyone may boast. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, you might have been formless, but you were created in Jesus Christ. For good. It says you're his workmanship. What's a workmanship? Well, Isaiah 64, 8. There the author confesses, Oh God, now you are our father. We're your children. You are the potter and we are the clay. That's saying, basically, Lord, have your way. You can take my little clay, my little lump of earth and dirt life, and you can start to form it into what you want. Let him be the potter, you the clay, and God takes, when you receive Jesus Christ, it's by grace or sake and faith, he comes and he takes you and you become his workmanship, this formless chaos, this purposeless life, and he says, ha ha, I have a plan for you. You're going to become my work of art. I'm going to create you for a special good work, a special purpose. Oh, God gives us light, He gives us form. What a beautiful God. And lastly, light, form, and the emptiness. Emptiness will be filled. Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Colossians 2. And it's true, if you've heard it, Everybody has a God-shaped hole. You can fill it with whatever you want. Skydiving, paintballing, nerf balling, <laughs> wiffle ball, airsoft, drugs, sex, rock and roll, friends, popularity, fashion, the pursuit of pleasure and joy. All of these can't fill your soul. <laughs> Just ask Oscar Wilde. Read his biography is very wild, if you will. He was a man who pursued pleasure. And at the end of his life, he was miserable and recognized. He got literally whatever he wanted. He pursued, he gave no barrier to his soul. He said, if I want to do it, I did it. 
and he wasted his life and died miserably through, I don't want to gross you out, but he was a very sexually immoral person, and it pretty much killed him at his deathbed. He realized he needed something that pleasure couldn't fulfill. He needed Jesus Christ to turn his chaotic life into creation. His emptiness to be fulfilled. Colossians 2.10 And you have been filled in Him, Jesus. You have been filled in Him. Some translations say complete. All the better. You're filled. You're complete. You are the fulfilled package in Jesus. Do you have these longings, these passions? What's my life about? What am I doing? He says, hey, come to Jesus. You'll be filled. This chaos turns to creation because God scatters the darkness with the light of Jesus. God forms your formlessness because He makes you His workmanship. He creates in you purpose, a will for your life. And He takes your emptiness and He fills it with purpose and satisfaction that no one can fill but Jesus. And you know, you talk to people who have been hammered on drugs and hooked to alcohol, and they have this waste of life, they're completely consumed and controlled by their sin. But the minute you steps in, for some stories, instant fulfillment. They no longer look to these things to fulfill their life, but they find everything they need in Jesus Christ. Christian, not, not the professor Christian, not the one who claims. I mean, you who walk with Jesus today, every day, you know who I'm talking to, and you know the fulfillment Jesus gives you. You experience Him daily. You experience that joy and that peace and contentment. And you realize, Proverbs 27.7 is the real deal. The full soul loathes the honeycomb. The full soul loathes the honeycomb. Honey in the Bible is, uh, is an emblem of, it's a picture, the sweetest thing you can get or do. <laughs> What's the sweetest thing you can do in your mind? Oh, I really want to jump out of an airplane. I really want to get married. I really want to have a friend. Oh, that's, that's a really good desire. I'm sorry. <laughs> But man, think of the sweetest thing you can do. And, and the Proverbs simply say, look, the full soul loathes even the sweetest thing in the world. It loathes the honeycomb. And you know, the full soul, when Satan comes with the pleasures of the world and tempts you in your flesh, and there's all these temptations, and just do it, man. And you're like, I need you. I need to be fulfilled. I'm so hungry for something. I need excitement in my life. But the full soul sees that and says, no way. After Thanksgiving, I mean after, immediately, some of you don't like it, but you know, most of us gorge out, or go to In-N-Out, whatever you want, and you're just full, and you've eaten so much. Oh, we had um, some people over to my parents' house last night, and you know, you have all the appetizers, just eating chips while you're talking, and you don't realize how many you eat until you sit down after dinner. <laughs> you only have a couple things on your plate, and you're seeing like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I tell you the truth. When my mom bakes her fresh cookies, I love to have two or three or five. No, I don't really go that bad, but, you know, I love to have, like, two. You're just out of the oven, they're so fresh, and you have a full glass of milk, and, oh, you know how filling that can be. You're just down, and it's so good. But they also had ice cream that night and brownies, and, and you see this whole display, and I'm like, oh. No, I actually wasn't like, oh. <laughs> I looked at all that, I said, you got to be kidding me. I can't eat anymore. 
And my appetite was curbed because I was filled inside, you see. I was full. I was loathing those temptations. Oh, of course, I can't miss my mom's cookies, but I didn't have two. That's true. <laughs> I only had one. And gang, if we want to be less tempted to the things of ungodliness in the world, you simply need more filling of Jesus Christ. The full soul loads the honeycomb. And in Him you're complete. The emptiness is filled. This is what God does to the chaotic life, the chaotic soul. He brings a new creation. So, let it be. Really, let it be. Don't resist His creative work. Jesus said, Let your light shine before men. Matthew 5, verse 16, I believe. Jesus also said, or Paul said, excuse me, don't be filled with wine, or in other words, any influence you like. Don't be filled with that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. <coughs> this is the best way to live, is just to let God's creative work happen. You'll be full, you'll be lighted, <laughs> you'll be formed. What does Romans 12 2 say? Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, God didn't say, be informed. That's why you come every Sunday night, right? To be informed about the Bible. No. God didn't say, be informed. Oh, it's helpful, but no, that's not it. He didn't say, be reformed. Try again, buddy. You almost got it, but just try again. Didn't say that either. He didn't say be conformed, be an imitator, just whatever Brandon says, just start doing. You guys know that Christianity is not about doing, it's not about work. I don't know why our culture has bombarded even us here to think that. It's about being. It's about letting God's creative work happen so that you're not informed, not reformed, not conformed, but transformed. He literally takes your chaotic mind filled with the world and sin and the pursuit of pleasure and he takes that chaos and he creates it into what God wants it to be. He takes your empty heart and he fills it with satisfaction. He takes your darkened life and says, this is life. This is where I want you to walk. This is what I want you to do. It's about being, not doing. God is the creator. And I'm tired of pulpit preachers and Bible beaters telling us to be better. Here's the thing not to do. And it's so common growing up when I was younger. Don't do these things. Better do these things. And wait a minute. God's the creator. He was the one worried about the doing. We're just the creation. Let him do through you. That's why Jesus said, I created the light in you, so what should you do? Let your light shine. He didn't tell you how to do it. He said, let it shine. You know, just let God's light continue to fill your life, and it'll just, bam, whoa, buddy, I need some sunscreen around you. <laughs> Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul didn't say, what I mean by that is don't do this and listen to ten things and five movies not to watch and three games not to play, two people not to talk to. He didn't do that. He said don't be influenced by anything but the Spirit of God. That's it. Let Him do the creative work. Just be. Be His creation. Walk it off. I 
then when God says to be transformed, that doesn't mean you do something. That's being conformed. I've got to go do this and imitate this. No, just be transformed. God will take that formlessness and form it. Just let him create. Let him do the work. You didn't see him tell the birds, okay, I created you now. This is what you do. Flap harder. Flap harder. <laughs> and you see none of that. It's just, bam, and they're flying. They're probably thinking, <laughs> all of a, can you imagine, like, all of a sudden, you exist and you're flying and what in the world's going on? <laughs> I can't even imagine what it's like for these things to just be created, like, eyes open and what in the world? You know, like, Adam, he wasn't born as a baby and raised and God told him, Adam, this is how a human behaves. This is what you're supposed to do, Adam. These fingers, yeah, I move them, good. Good, Adam, now take the hand through the food. Excellent. Squeeze it. Don't you, aw, oh, too hard. Banana all over his face. <laughs> no, soft next time, Adam. Bring it to your mouth. Good. Open the mouth. What's the mouth? <laughs> just here. You know, how ridiculous. Adam was created, and Adam just was what God created him to be. And Adam knew. Just Can you imagine just knowing? You know, just... But that's what... Listen, please don't miss this. Most important thing I'm saying tonight, okay? I know, I'm almost over. Most important thing here is what happened in this chaos. What develops the creation? Yes, the Word of God spoke it. But did you notice that last phrase I haven't touched on? And the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The unfaithful chaotic. I plea with you tonight. Let Jesus create you into something useful. You know you need Him. Just give in to Him now. There's others. You're saved. But there's situations. Maybe you've messed up. You're unsure. You're in chaos. Know that God wants to illuminate to you the way. He wants to help you through. He wants to reform what you've messed up. Fill what you've been lacking. It's the Spirit of God that does all of this. Nowhere did God command the creation to live up to his expectations. He just told it to be, and it was, and it functioned under his authority. You don't see the creation rebelling. When's the last time you saw the sun say, I don't want to shine today? Thank the Lord the Son obeys the Father. <laughs> it just is. According to God's life through it, his creative work. Listen, just let the Spirit of God lead you every day. Well, I don't hear from Him. Well, that's because you're not reading your Bible. Because you're not praying. Imagine that. Just let the Spirit of God lead you. And you will, people will see, whoa, that's creation. I'm chaos. I don't realize there's something I need. This is the microcosm you see now, the gospel. The Bible's all about this, but Genesis 1 and 2 shows us right away. Well, you know, forget the Scientology and the evolution and all this stuff. I just want to get to the point. You guys can debate creation, like what these verses mean all you want, but I am turning chaos to creation every day, and I'm glorified by it. Father, we thank you so much that you do this. You haven't left us to be formless, empty, and dark. God, you take us, you Form us with your hands ever so gently. You fill us with life and joy and peace and patience and kindness and love and self-control and goodness and kindness 
and everything, every blessing, Ephesians tells us, every blessing is ours in you. You've already given it. You've filled us. And God, you don't leave us to be dark, but you've illuminated our eyes, our hearts. We walk in light. And as we looked at last week, every single day of our walk with you is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. There is no darkness in you. Thank you so much. And Father, you know you've been touching the points of chaos in life tonight. I pray you create. I pray you create in these hearts, in these lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.